This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a thousand tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and LA bid on iOS developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average iOS developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $2,000 signing bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the iFreaks link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash iFreaks. Today on our panel, we have Andrew Madsen. Hello from Microsoft Build in San Francisco. Uh, my name is James Zuber, and I'm also from San Francisco. And today, we've got a special guest. We've got Miguel De Casa. Want to say hello to our listeners? Hello, everybody. This is uh, Miguel De Casa, and, uh, and I'm visiting San Francisco for the Build Conference. Okay. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Miguel? I think a lot of people know who you are. But... Oh, okay. Uh, uh, well, lately, I've been doing... I've been doing tools for c developers to target uh, iOS and Android. iOS really is where my heart is, uh, just because, uh, for those that don't know. But before, I, I, used to be, I used to be a Linux contributor, and I worked on the GNOME desktop, working on the, the, you know, the mythical Linux desktop for many years. I always said the Linux desktop uh, is around the corner, the year of the Linux desktop. It's a running joke in the community. So that didn't happen, but... Very good technologies came out of this, and one of those was this uh, cross-platform .NET runtime, Mono, and that is what powers uh, uh, our product, uh, .NET on Android and .NET on iOS. And, uh, and this wicked build, Scott Gontry, first, he gave it away for free to everybody, and, and second, he open-sourced it. So for the last couple of years, I kind of abandoned my roots of an open-source guy, and, and we were doing proprietary work, and now it, goes, it all goes back to the open-source world. Yeah, it's quite, cool. the, quite the arc from a person who did Gnome, gnome or Gnome? Uh, uh, gnome. I say gnome. gnome. Well, in Spanish, they say Gnome. So, but okay, anyways, so. uh, it's Gnu, so Gnome, Gnu, right? Yeah. Right, exactly. That's yeah. quite the arc from you know, open source to Linux desktop stuff in, in the 90s to now being a part of Microsoft right now. But, yeah, that's right. I, I, I used to sit on the board of the Free Software Foundation. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's a little bit of a tour. Well, I have a lot I want to talk to you about. One, I think the first question that comes up when I hear your history is, why, uh, as a Linux guy, somebody who was working on GNOME and you know, uh, free software and just Linux in general, why, why was C Sharp, why was uh, .NET something that was interesting to that you? That is a great question. So what happened was we, we were building, we built the GNOME desktop, and the GNOME desktop was built in C. And the challenge that we faced was, uh, you know, C is a low-level language. You spent a lot of time chasing memory bugs and memory corruption problems and leaks, and uh, the productivity is very low. So very early in the history of the, of the GNOME project, we were influenced a lot by who at the time was the, the messiah of scripting languages, uh, John Osterhout. This is before JavaScript is even a thing, right? So he said, what we need to do is erase the programming lab level. And he had a scripting language called Tickle. I don't know if you guys remember this. Tickle, yeah. mm -hmm. and it had a UI interface called TK. Mm -hmm. And people build apps in Tickle TK. And the productivity in Unix was amazing. So we always believe in this vision of uh, raising the programming level. Write less code, be more effective. But the problem when we're writing Linux desktop is this is happening in the year 1999. 1997 is when the project starts. 1998. I don't know if you remember the machines 
that existed at the time, but they were not that powerful. No. A beefy machine, a beefy desktop at the time had 16 megabytes of RAM. Yeah, Pentium 3, that kind of area. Exactly. Yeah. So C really was what you had to use back in the day, right? I mean, you could use other things, but then that was the only process that you could run. Right. I mean, you would run the clock in your desktop, and then <laughs> that's it. You're running a clock, right? So what we were looking was a blend of raising the programming level, but also keeping the performance of, of the system in place. And this is where things like like Java wasn't quite there. I mean, it was very good, at, it was very good but it wasn't quite there. And .NET was coming up, and they had essentially fixed a few issues with Java. Now, the problem that Java had at the time for open source was that there was a free implementation that some gave away for free, but the open source community fundamentally couldn't adopt it because it wasn't open source. And because there was this thing available for free, there was no motive or desire to rebuild it from the ground up. So we had no viable free open source Java implementation because there was a proprietary free version, right? So essentially, as an open source movement, we were left in a place where Java fulfilled their needs but didn't have a viable option as a full open source stack. So .NET comes at this point in time. They're coming in saying, we fixed some design mistakes in Java, you get the higher level of productivity, this raising the programming level that Oster had been advocating for years, and also, it's very fast. We're legit compile. It's gonna be, it's gonna be very good. So that's why we started building it. It was, it was, it was purely based on our needs, on years of pain, debugging crashes, memory corruption, leaks, and just frustration. So okay. that's what we did. That's yeah, what we did. I was a desktop developer doing C plus apps, you know, for years, and like just going to C sharp, like wow, I don't have to deal with all these things that you know, memory yeah, pointers. And life is too short. Life is too short to be debugging like, this stuff, right? Yeah, like, There's a time and a moment. It's just not exactly. for general purpose computing, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, th I think it's interesting that you... I, so I didn't, I didn't know any of this history. I didn't know the project went back that far. And the fact that you sort of... Java didn't work, right? Uh, for, for these reasons you've explained is interesting. One thing that's sort of um, funny to me is that Especially in the early days, Java was sold as a cross-platform solution. That was part of the magic of Java, right? You'd yeah. build your app, you'd compile it once, and then it would run on any system right. that had a Java VM. C-sharp sort of works similarly, right? You have the, the .NET runtime and the CLR and whatever, but it really has not been a cross-platform. It was not a cross-platform language. It was Microsoft's language until right. Mono and Xamarin came along. Right, and, and uh, we started the Mono project in 2001, and we had a JIT compiler within a year. So we had a self-hosting system within a year, and that included a C-sharp compiler written from the ground up in C-sharp. And we're very proud because I think that the first build, when we only had an interpreter, of our C-sharp compiler would take like five or six minutes to build wow. itself, and it was like 10,000 lines of code. And within a year, we got it down to three seconds. So. The compiler, the C-sharp compiler, would JIT itself, compile itself, and generate itself in three seconds. Wow. And, That's crazy, uh, yeah. And now it's like, it's down to one second. Of course, it's mostly hardware. It's yeah, machines have gotten faster. Yeah, the machine has yeah. gotten faster. But it's impressive. It's, uh, so it did deliver on the promise. The JIT was uh, one of the design decisions that Microsoft made was the instruction set actually had things that you could leverage to make a faster JIT. Um, so we, we did that, and it was, it was actually amazing that we, a team that had never built a compiler before, we, I, I've never written a compiler before, uh, the people that were 
helping me on the team. We used to lay out dialogue boxes. That was our thing. We did Gnome. And it's like, well, this okay button should be maybe to the right, and this, uh, you know, the proportions are wrong. The font should be bigger. And next thing you know, we're building GCs and JIT compilers. And so it was amazing because you could actually build it in a year. Well, that. Yeah, so you may not have done it before, but you were smart. You have you had a smart team because that's. Well, we were. Uh, uh, I don't know. If it's. I mean, I like to say that a lot of it is just putting the effort into it. So it was more of a. We stick the reputations on that, so right. we kind of had to uh, to deliver. So it's either do this or flame out. And yeah, we job. didn't want to be yeah. like, oh yeah, you, you have a big mouth. So we said <laughs> we're going to do it, and and it was. I think that was the main driver. So uh, one thing okay. like. So in .NET, they have got their implementation, implementation of like the observer pattern is, is an event. What's involved in taking that and making it run on Linux? Like that type of thing, you know? Well, so that was interesting. The way that we, uh, and first of all, the .NET framework back then was a lot smaller. And also Microsoft had submitted the basics to a, a, a standard body called ECMA. And then it became an ISO standard. But we had to work from the specs. We had to work from the public specifications. So whatever was in the documentation is what we implemented. And it was mostly okay until you realize quickly that the documentation doesn't always necessarily reflect the implementation. Mm -hmm. So a, a lot of Mono was developed through docs, but also through bug reports. So people would say, this is broken. I said, well, no, we're, we do what the spec says. It's like, well, the spec is wrong. <laughs> so it's basically clean room implementation of .NET from the ground up. And there's always been these historical differences between Mono and .NET because our implementation was based on the docs. And whatever Microsoft shared in blogs, it, there was a period in history when, uh, where everybody blogged. I don't remember this time, the era, the 2003, 2007, blogs were big. And we derived so much value out of people blogging. And blogging has kind of taken a hit in recent years. But there, there, there was the golden years of blogging. There was so much public information about every element of, of .NET that you could learn about, and that's how we built it. So it was documentation, blogs, um, and bug reports. Okay. So is the code C++? C Sharp. The runtime, well, the, the virtual machine is written in C, only C. Okay, okay. Right. We had a fundamental uh, uh, C++ we. <laughs> you, 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 I, love I it, you love it or you hate it. You, yeah. A lot of people hate it. I mean, I'll use C++. Uh, now I think that there's better idioms practices and things like that around C++, but I just felt always that C++ was a very large and complex language, and not a lot of the complexity was easy to understand for newcomers. So we went with C for the runtime because it was a language that everybody could understand, and it was very easy to pick up. There is really nothing happening behind the scenes. When you see a statement, that, that is what it is. There's really no magic going on there. So yeah. if there's magic, you can see it. This is how we you do the magic, exactly. and it's in line, right? It's you know not exactly what's happening, yeah. Exactly. So uh, we, write, we wrote the VM in C, and everything else is C Sharp. Okay. Just the low-level stuff, the VM, as well as C. I've heard C being called C++, the good parts. <laughs> yeah, I, I have to say, I mean, to be fair, I think C++ has evolved tremendously. It's a more complex language, but at least they've surfaced now new idioms that do not require you to go down to these ugly, this ugly corners, these ugly neighborhoods of, uh, yeah. of C++. So at least, right. at least it's, a, it's a nicer language to develop with now. I mean, I, I even enjoy writing a 
a little bit yeah, of it, it, has, it has certainly gotten better. Yes. Yeah. I, I want to get to, so our audience is mostly iOS developers. Yes. Um, and a lot of, uh, you know, certainly all the, the, the announcements yesterday were uh, around cross-platform development for iOS and Android. So you've been, I mean, that's, this is what Xamarin's been about for, for a long time. Yeah. Uh, but I'm curious to know what you think, what you think uh, micro, the Microsoft acquisition and the announcements that were made yesterday, what, what, are the, what are the changes, the good changes that are, you know, in store for mobile developers because of those? Well, so to me, the, the most interesting thing is Xamarin was a great technology because uh, I mean, I, I know that I, I sound terrible saying that my product was great, but uh, uh, but it was a great technology because it allowed people to focus on the problem. You know, garbage collection to me has always been something that solves problems for people. Uh, strong typing, which also now iOS has now with Swift. I've always been a very strong advocate of strong typing, of generics, you know, strong collections, all these things. And uh, when we surfaced iOS APIs to C Sharp, we actually strongly type every single one of them. So our value was, we're not going to give you just iOS. We're not going to surface NS dictionaries. We actually have an implicit conversion that gives you that if you want, but we were going to give you strongly typed things. So when you configure an audio subsystem with AV Foundation, you don't pass a dictionary and you don't have to figure out the magic keys and the magic values for each one of those. We'll give you a strongly typed object that says, the number of hertz, it's going to be a float. And it's a property that you set, and you get code completion. You don't have to look up anything in documentation. We did uh, nullables before Swift did it. We did all these things that we thought were a projection of iOS into the stronger, stricter typing system of C-sharp and F-sharp. So that was our value. And we made a lot of people happy, and, and I was happy to use this API. I always preferred it more than, than the loosely typed APIs that iOS had. So yeah, that should, was our we value. Should, we should probably step back a little bit because we went from mono, which is a desktop technology, yes. maybe a website, yes, yes, yes. and now it's running on the iPhone, which was yes. a big thing. So we can't, we can't, most of our audience probably knows what's happened, but that was a big step. You know, yeah, we, we, we actually turned .NET into a static compiler, which nobody had done before. So we made .NET effectively create static binaries with no JIT compiler for iOS. So essentially, you still use C Sharp, but what you end up is native code. And, and in fact, uh, you can use a fast development mode where you still use Monos code generator, or you can use a slower but high quality optimizer in LVM. So we just hand out the code to LVM the same way that Objective-C does. So you get to use high level APIs and it still goes through LVM and you end up essentially with the same uh, performance. And uh, when was Xamarin now, it was Monotouch. When did Monotouch come out? Uh, Monotouch, we launched the product in 2009. Okay, and this was around the time of iOS 3? Yeah, or, iOS uh, 3 came out in 2009. It's now a blur. It's a blur which yeah, one they is. come out, but... Uh, iOS 3 2 sounds was about the first right. one with an SDK in 2008, and then 2009, iOS 3. Yeah, we launched in September 2009, so whatever was uh, the thing around the time is what we added. But, but thinking, like, C-sharp is a language compared to what Objective-C was back then? Like, Objective-C has grown a lot yeah, over of course. the past. And they even added generics recently. I mean, yeah. last year. So, yeah. I mean, we're very happy but with this, that. This, that was before Objective-C had ARC, so it was manual reference counting. Yes. Uh, like properties, like, yeah. weren't there? That was well, there. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Properties. We had all these things. But to me, what is important about, but one thing that happened is we were a startup and we were self-funded, right? When we launched the project, there's a whole novel acquisition. You know, they took it private, complicated matter. But essentially, 
we licensed the technology from Novell in 2011, and we are self-funded. It's uh, me and Nat are paying the bills for this, and we're trying to keep the team from falling apart because Novell laid the whole team off. So we're trying to keep them together, trying to get a few contracts to bootstrap the company. And what happened is that we had a viable product, but it was a very expensive product. I mean, uh, the pricing, I mean, that was a complaint for years, that Xamarin is a great technology, but it costs $1,000 a platform for the professional version. And we had a lighter version for $200, right? So Xamarin was a great technology, but always a niche technology because only people that said, you know what, I'm going to take this very seriously and I'm going to put down the money, I'm going to go all in with Xamarin would pay those kinds of bills. And it's about $1,000 per developer. Now you have 10 developers, it's $10,000 yeah, a year. Lot. So, I mean, as a startup, we were doing, uh, you know, we couldn't afford to not charge. And we did very well. We, we grew the company from, uh, you know, just me and Nat to, uh, I think at the time of the acquisition, 370 people, roughly. Oh, wow. And plus QA that I'm not even counting. So, well, outsourced QA that we have. So, but we had to charge. We had to charge for the product. So it was, it was essentially a niche product. People that could afford it or banks and insurance companies and all these people with a lot of money could pay for the product but you know more of the indie guys always struggle with this thing both on Android and on iOS and we do the same thing for Android by the way giving yeah. strong types and all these things right. so yesterday announcement going back to your question yesterday announcement to me is huge because I've always struggled with how do we make this accessible to more people but, but <laughs> pay the bills right and now that we're part of Microsoft Microsoft essentially wants more developers using their tools and they're able to afford to give this away for free. Not only to give it away for free, but to open source it. So that's, no, so that's, all my stuff is going open source in the next couple of weeks. That's all the, of it. That's the, the, the crazy thing, right, is that this new Microsoft uh, that does open source, here comes a, a open source Linux guy, joins Microsoft, <laughs> and Microsoft is the one that gets to, that, that makes it so you can open source your stuff. So and that's, that's right, that's right. Scott Guthrie told me that, he's like, he came to me and you know with Scott Gunther's voice very that's kind of funny you've been pushing us to do uh, to do open source for years and there you go and you build this proprietary thing and then we have to buy it <laughs> from you to open source it that's funny so uh, I, yeah, I was uh, um, a little bit ironic I, I watched the keynote yesterday and, wow. and I thought your uh, your demo was, was my as an iOS developer your demo was my favorite part of the keynote oh thank you thank you even just just seeing somebody build an iOS app uh-huh. <laughs> on a Windows machine at a Microsoft conference in a Microsoft keynote was pretty incredible. I think some of the stuff you showed was really cool, and I wanted to ask you about it. One was you now have, in Visual Studio, you have the iOS simulator. Yes. I think being reflected from a room. That is correct, yes. Um, but you even have some things about that simulator experience that are better than what you get on a Mac. Yeah, in some it's got a little better. So, I have so to show the one thing that yeah, we're we'll, better, which we'll is the touch, uh, the touch support, right? Talk about that, right. because I've had a radar for multi-touch support in the iOS simulator for five years or something. Right, I don't know, exactly. So. so, I mean, because we're running on a Surface, and, and, you, and you're shipping machines with touch screens, you can actually, you know, use your, your fingers for this. And, uh, no, I would love if Apple had touch screens, because that's my main desktop. I mean, I'll show you my laptop. is right there. It's, I, I use a Mac. That's my main machine. And every once in a while, I would like to, you know, pinch yeah. on the screen. I use an iPad, right? I, 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 do, it I, all, I, do, I do it all the time. I, I like, would like my Mac to behave like my iPad, I start right? pinching on, my, on my, my MacBook Pro. I'm like, what am I doing? Like, right. Like, so when we, ported this, when we wrote the simulator to be, you know, forwarded from the Mac to Windows, it was, you know, on Windows it's becoming, uh, you know, ubiquitous, having touch screens. 
you know, they're pros. You have touch screens. The, the con is you have fingers everywhere, you know, uh, greasy yeah, fingers smudgy, on the screens, yeah. but uh, as much as, yeah. But that was one of the things that we surfaced. We were able to do that, and we're, we're proxying all kinds of, uh, you know, other sensors as well to the, to the simulator. So, so we can so send the location back. To the that's that's cool. So you must. I, I want to ask a little bit about how you do this. Um, I, the iOS simulator on the Mac does support multi-touch. It's just not. Yeah, with your fingers, you it's not hooked up. Down to, yeah, you have to do something. Something. So you you must be. Uh, I would love to, to tell you, but, but maybe I would love to tell you, but I don't know how it works. I mean, I have a team of very talented engineers that worked on this, and I would love to take credit for that. But it's Alex Corrado, it's Alan yeah. McGovern, it's Eric Maupin. And uh, my contribution, to be honest, has been, uh, hey, that icon, move it to the left. Uh, that one, a little bit too, too strong, move it to the right. <laughs> so I would like to take credit for that, but I, I mean, I, I don't know exactly how. I mean, I know sometimes I participate in the discussions about how we make it faster. And sure. right now we're, we're trying to tweak, uh, uh, you know, how we send the frames back to Windows. We're basically sending a bunch of images. We tried H.264. The lag is too bad. So now we're saying JPEGs. Mm -hmm. No lag. And you don't get the artifacts when you lose a frame. So right now we're trying to optimize that. Because for small simulators it's great. But iPad Pro. Yeah, that's a not little, so great. That's a little difficult. Not so great. Because, you know, that thing it's is massive. huge. So we're looking at doing, you know, sending uh, damage regions and... How do you optimize? Maybe you send lower resolution, poorly encoded on a first frame when it's animating and when you stop changes, you send a high quality. So we're trying to tune that and I would like to take credit for you know, helping a little bit there, you know, throwing ideas. But So how is the simulator developed? Is that actually running a Windows app on the simulator? Uh, well, it's a WPF app on Windows. It's okay. a WPF app on Windows and it's connected through SSH to the Mac where we're actually running the iOS simulator on the back. So okay, you, so, so you have to have it's just forwarding. Yeah, yeah, you, you have, have to have, have a Mac, Mac, and you have to have the Xcode installed, and, and that's the real. Yeah. We're forwarding. We're just forwarding your screen right. over there, and we make okay. it transparent. That's all. Uh, and the magic of how we how they do it, I I I, I don't know the details, but uh, okay, that's. But I can the, look them up. That's been the case for a while. <laughs> if you do Xamarin, you can develop on your Windows box using Visual Studio, but there's there's a Mac. Somewhere. There's always a Mac. There's, there's always a Mac. Even the designer. The designer. When you're using the designer. It's also connected to a oh, Mac. interesting. Because what we do is we run, uh, the designer is actually running in the simulator. Because oh, yeah, what yeah. we allow is we allow you not only to add regular uh, controls, UI views, and uh, you know, all the operating system controls into the surface, but we allow you to write your own subclasses. So for example, you create the, you know, my color label, which is a subclass of UI label, right? And it appears on your toolbox, and you can drag my color label into the design surface, and it shows. And you can change the properties live, and it will be reflected. In fact, we showed this at uh, our conference a couple of years ago, and then Apple took the idea. <laughs> so I'm happy to say that Apple took one idea yeah, from that, us. That's cool. Uh, now, what, most of our listeners are probably not running Windows boxes. How do you develop in C Sharp on a Mac? Oh, on a Mac we use, uh, we have this, uh, and that's what I do, by the way. I, I develop everything on a Mac. In fact, if you went to my session, yesterday it was all Mac. We noticed. Except the time when I had to bring one of my engineers to bring his Windows PC to show the Windows <laughs> side of the house. But you, uh, you use an IDE called Xamarin Studio. And Xamarin Studio is really is, is the mono-developed open source IDE, which is written in C Sharp. And we've added the Android and iOS extensions. So, it's, so we contribute to mono-develop. It's an open source IDE. And we just add these two proprietary pieces, Android and iOS. So it's a thing that connects to simulators, builds, Xcodes, all that stuff. So it's just the open source stuff. 
You've also, part of the announcement yesterday was the uh, Xamarin Studio for the Mac. Uh, the Community Edition is, is free, completely free. That's and, right. And yep. I think now can build for iOS and Android, right? That's right. It's always been able to do iOS and Android. Okay. On a Mac, you can do iOS and Android. Uh, you've always been able to. Okay. So what are the limitations with the Community Edition? Okay, let me see if I can remember. I, I'm new to Microsoft, so I, I, I don't know everything uh, exactly right. Community Edition is an edition that can be used for education, open source, training, or small companies. So I think that there's a, if you're a small company, you make less than some millions of dollars per year, you can use community. But if you're a company that is making more than some, I don't know how many, what, I don't know what the number is, then you have to buy professional. Okay. okay. Is it limited some way? Like, no. So it's a EULA. It's a, it's a gentleman's agreement enforcement. Okay. Yeah. okay. So, so there's no limit on your app size? There's no, no. no. Well, the, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Those are things that we did as a startup that were... Okay. Just as a startup, life is rough, you I have to say. It. You got to pay the bills. It's very rough, I, I have to say. It's, it, it was five years of, uh, of fear. Right, you, you wake up every morning, uh, you know, in fear about customers. Did a customer switch? Is a customer unhappy? Uh, did we have a problem? Uh, you know, is there a security attack on the wild that you need to patch? Uh, you know, running a startup is it's a lot of stress, a lot of stress. And then you're dancing with giants, right? You got Facebook over there, bomb, yeah. Microsoft, and Apple and Google. It's like so you're a little ant, and these elephants are in the room moving, and then they're gonna step on you at some point. So. It's very stressful, very stressful, guys, very stressful. Well, it worked out. Oh, it did it work out, out, yes. So I have to say, I'm a little bit calmer now. But. <laughs> so, I mean, with the new pricing, this opens up Xamarin for a lot of smaller companies and, and startups. Now, right. one of the programs Microsoft does to fuel like their technologies is, is BizSpark. So if you're a yes. startup and you've got a small team, you can get Microsoft tools for a, a year. Is that is Xamarin included? Yeah, it's, with that? it's included in that. So Microsoft has a bunch of programs, uh, and we even participated in some of those before we joined. There was a joint agreement pricing, very complicated structure, but we had one for uh, students, and they have this thing for students called DreamSpark, I think, something like that. So we had that program with them. Uh, there's this other student bundle that is given to universities and we're also part of that. And then there's BizSpark, which is, you essentially not only get the pro, but you get the full feature enterprise, everything thing as a startup, and we're also part of that. That's cool. And that's the one where we always struggle with them, right? Because like, well, when includes Xamarin in our additions, like, sure, just pay us the license. And they're like, oh no, we want you guys to pay the bills. Like, I can't do that. But now, now they can. That's cool. I, ironically, I got into <laughs> iOS development with a startup doing uh -huh. Xamarin because I was a .NET person for oh, years really? and years. And okay. I, I got hired on. They thought I would do some back-end work for them. I heard there was an iPhone app. I'm like, I'll buy an app. I'll buy, I'll buy a Mac if you let me work on the iPhone app. They're like, okay. Wow. And, and that's okay. how I got into iOS development ah, cool. five, six years ago. But So, so, so I got you into iOS development. You personally. <laughs> well, this is uh, very good, feel good This was like, this is right before... You were still part of Novell, and yes. I remember at that time, if you wanted to integrate with like a native library, there's no way to do it. Someone that found a script that one of your team had sent them, like someone at Novell gave you the script, and like I found it on a forum, like it was probably I know who probably did it was Jeff Norton, who's an amazing developer. He is now at Sony okay. Computer Corporation, Computer Entertainment or something. But uh, yeah, okay, wow. So no, it's well, cool. that was very nice. Very yeah. nice to know. Yeah. So. Learning, not having to learn Objective C was pretty useful because 
coming from I did like Windows of desktop course, stuff, back end stuff, and learning just the framework stuff is hard enough. Oh, what a great story! It. What a so, great story! I can't believe like, that. Okay. <laughs> so you learn one thing at a time. I already knew C sharp, and I was a decent C sharp developer. Uh -huh. But like, I'm learning this whole what is what's the view controller thing? You know? Yeah. What are these views that nibs interface builder? Like, what what is the stuff? And so it kind of. And that's one of the things I see a lot of excitement, especially in the .NET community. They're like, oh, I don't have to learn Objective-C. You know, yeah. Objective there's fear of brackets, and a lot of developers yeah. are scary. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that it's scary, it's just cumbersome. Yeah. It's I mean, like going back to C++, it's header files. Why do I have to type this twice? <laughs> I mean, this is, it's 2016, there's got to be something better. I mean, luckily Swift does stuff like that, right? It's, it's a modern language, but yeah, it's 2016. I, like I said, C++ is better, but still, it's 2016. Yep. I mean, guys, I, come on. When I started doing native development, I was pretty taken aback by how much stuff was not in the language that I was just used to. Yeah. And C sharp, you know, like query stuff, to be able to iterate over things, maps and lists and stuff like that. Yeah, this and is Cold War stuff. I mean, the Cold War is over. Yeah, like yeah, we deserve better languages. Yeah. So that leaves, I, that leaves the point. Now with Swift, uh -huh. we have a lot of those things that I was missing in Objective C. Yeah. So why, why is C sharp still important in the Swift world? Well, uh, I mean, the most important thing. Well, there's two pieces, right? One, you have existing code, and Microsoft has a lot of existing customers, and they want to reach other platforms. Uh, so there's certainly that angle, um, and the other one is that. Although Swift has great, great, great ideas that I love. I love many of those ideas. It's still a language that is evolving. Um, in fact, I would say that if you look at the history of C Sharp, when C Sharp came out, they actually launched the beta in 2000, or late 2000, yeah. of .NET. And they had that thing brewing in public for about four years. It didn't become .NET 1.0 in 2003 or 2004. Right, so there were four years of a development in public where they broke APIs, they changed the language, they made updates, um, because you can't get a system of this complexity right on the get-go. So, um, so Seizure One, when it came out, it was stable, and they kept it stable, and the API stable up until now, right? Um, and with Swift, they took a different approach. They launched the language and they call it 1.0. Yeah, and then, you know, 2.0, 2.1, 2.2, and 3.0. I mean, they break things. Right, so. I think marketing-wise it was a good move, but the reality is that it's like when they launched C-Sharp first, it was, hey, here's a preview. This is not 1.0, and we're going to be breaking things until yeah, it's so, a 1.0. So in some sense, right now, Swift is not even quite two years old yet, <clears throat> and it's it's where C-Sharp was in its evolution in 2002 or 2003. Right. So. So, and the other, so that's one element, right? You have existing customers, and you want to bring them to iOS, or people with experience in C-Sharp, and you want to reach out uh, to iOS. And the second thing is you want to share code across platforms. And there are many ways of sharing code. You can use JavaScript. You know, that's a very viable option. People do that, Cordova, HTML, this sort of thing. You can use C or C++, uh, Dropbox or Facebook, or somebody wrote a big blog post, here's how we share code, C++, and then we plug UIs everywhere. Also very viable. Or you share it with C Sharp. So it's really a matter of what language do you want to use to share code across platforms. And different things will work for different people. I mean, I'm sorry for the guys that have to do C++ because, you know, we already have beat that horse uh, enough. But if that works for you, uh, that works for you. So this is for the group of people that have chosen C Sharp. And, uh, and I am still incredibly excited about C Sharp. 
not only because of what it has, because but because it's a language, it's a language that hasn't stood still. And I think this is a new trend in language design. It's not limited to C sharp. I think Swift has it. I think Ross has it. I think that we're all now in this new mentality, right? Like C and Python were frozen for so many years that we thought that languages were static, and now uh, this new generation of languages are revised constantly. Yeah, it's and almost the point where you can't just learn one language. That's you, right. You, so you get you got generics, and then you got iterators, right? These state machines that the compiler injects state machines. They got dynamic. And then they got, uh, C-Sharp got async programming, which I think is uh, you know, a gift of the gods, right? Uh, where you can await operations, and the compiler rewrites your code behind your back so that it becomes a state machine, and that you don't ha ever have blocking code. You don't ever have to do callbacks. You don't ever have to, you know, this callback hell thing. When I, when I talk to C-Sharp developers and I say, what, you know, what's your favorite thing about C-Sharp? Async await is uh, something right. they, Bring up all and I have to so. say, async await is destined to be on every language. Let's explain what that is. Oh. So most, of our, most of our listeners are not going to know what this feature is. Oh, so that's what, right, is, that's what right. is async await? So async await, the, the way to explain it very simply is imagine that you have a blocking operation. So uh, let's say that you want to download some data from the network. The user types in his login and password and presses, uh, and presses some button. Or No, 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 that's not a good idea. The user pulls to refresh, right? And what you want to do is download the data and then update the user interface. Now, usually what you do in these situations is you spawn a thread or a background activity to download the data so that the UI doesn't block. So what you want to do is immediately return control to the main loop. So the user pulls to refresh, you invoke a method, and you say, okay, I'm going to start a thread to download this stuff. And when it's done, I'm going to invoke this callback. In the meantime, you can still deal with your UI. And uh, so that's the way that you program it. It's very simple. In this scenario, it's just one callback. Now, in more complicated scenarios, you'll have one callback followed by another callback by another callback as you chain these operations that you don't want to ever block, right? Right. And it's very popular in Node. You have these things where you program to the right, right? right. You, you keep programming towards the right as you have callbacks. Um, so what I think a way does is that instead of writing your code in a way where you provide callbacks, when you have this pull to refresh, for example, you say, await the download. And then immediately you say, now parse the data. And then populate the data. So you write code very linearly the way that you, that you did before UI programming came into being, like in the good old days of basic. 10, print hello, 20, go to 10, right? It's yep. linear programming. And every time you insert the await keyword, what the compiler does is it rewrites your code. It rewrites your code into a state machine where it fires off the background operation. And when it completes, the callback resumes execution at the next instruction. So every time you have a way, you have to think, this method suspends, returns control to the caller. And when this operation completes, it will resume operation here. Cool. So you sprinkle weights in your code, and you still can reason about your code. You can have for loops. For, you can download multiple feeds in a for loop and you just await them, right? Yeah. You can handle errors, you can do try catches, you can catch exceptions, you can gracefully uh, handle errors in a, in a natural way. You can see if this error happens, do this, as opposed to in a callback over there, you handle the error and then you set some state so you can bubble the error up or bubble the error down or, yeah. you know, you have to do control flow by, by managing callbacks and states. Like, it's the go-to of our era, right? So await basically removes this 
this whole thing about callbacks, you, you eliminate them, they're gone. Uh, you program linearly. So yeah, that's very powerful. I mean, we're app developers. We're always getting things off the UI thread. Yeah, you know, to right. keep think, think, think about how many times you've programmed to the right with Grand Central Dispatch right. or something. Now, the good news about async await, and they exist in C Sharp today, and uh, but async await will will come in to every platform. They're coming yeah. to every language. JavaScript is getting the uh, C is getting it. So it's a matter of time for these new. Now we understand it. as a as a language community. Now we know how to do it. And we're going to get it everywhere. Yeah, uh, but know, it was pioneered. For, it was pioneered by C Sharp. I know for Swift, um, they've said they don't. They, they're not ready to nail down the async model until Swift four or something. So it, yeah, it's going it to come, but it's not yet. It needs some thinking. It needs some thinking. So and, and also C Sharp is learning from Swift. There's a lot of very nice features from Swift that are getting added to the language, right? So it's like, oh, tuples. Well, maybe we should have added better syntax for that. So the new version that they just launched here has that feature. They're adding pattern matching. F sharp always had it, and now the and C sharp was always like, eh, I don't know about that. And then Swift showed this is how you do it elegantly. So C sharp stole the design, sure. right? So it's just a convenient way of sharing code. There's a way of keeping your existing code, your existing expertise, your tools, your your things. And I personally love C sharp. I think that the language team is evolving it in a nice way, and I wanted to see it everywhere. So. I'm going to keep pushing this puppy <laughs> as far as I can. I could. <clears throat> I think we could keep talking to you forever because I've got a lot more questions. Um, but we have another uh, another person lined up, and I think you're, you probably have other things to do too. So, well, it's a, it's a pleasure talking to you guys. Is there anything else we should cover? Uh, no, I think that's we, it. I think it was a good chat. So if sorry, I asked questions some local user groups from some people like, hey, I've got Miguel on the show, what should I ask him? Yeah. So, uh, one thing they wanted to know, if you're currently a, a subscriber, uh, do you have to do anything to get the, the free, the free uh, version? Yes, because the, the was, it was released in two stages because we they had an announcement on the first day and the second day and we're part of the second day announcement. All you have to do is go to your Xamarin update. So in Visual Studio Tools, Xamarin, Tools Options, Xamarin, Update. And you get the and you get this. Or if you install Visual Studio Fresh today, or you do repair installation, it will update to the to this edition. Okay. Great. Well, let's get to the picks. So for the build shows, we're not doing our own picks. So we'll just uh, okay. say, if you have a pick for us. Like, oh, uh, well, very personally, I like to play with my kids. <laughs> uh, but if, uh, if I had to, personal uh, thing that I can recommend, I love going to Cancun. I really like Cancun as a vacation destination. So. Okay, so I, the thing I get from that is, don't uh, spend all your time programming. Take time to play with your kids. <laughs> Which and is the beauty of high-level languages, like yeah. C Sharp or Swift. Oh, perfect. Spend yeah. more time with your family. <laughs> you're not debugging memory issues. You're playing with pushing on the swing or doing you're not up till two a.m. with friends. some pointer problem somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, great. Thank you very much, guys. Thanks. Thanks. Awesome. For I appreciate it. Thanks for having. Thanks for coming on the show. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.